A couple of weeks ago, my sister came to visit, brought me a trunk from my mom's house, and said, I haven't gone through all of this. It's just a lot of their memorabilia. We opened it up, and there was my dad's uh, Navy uniform from World War II in there. A couple of them, actually three, about three of them. Uh, pictures of him uh, uh, doing all that. And uh, and I uh, didn't know how small he was till I looked at it. I couldn't wear it. I mean, he was like 130 pounds and five five like five eight or something. He was tiny. Uh, I didn't. I always remember him as being this huge giant, but he was actually kind of a small man. But uh, but I'm grateful. I grew up looking out my window and watching Navy vessels go up and down the Cooper River uh, there in Charleston, and uh, I am I am super aware and super grateful. Uh, I I see there are two main characters in the Bible. Uh, that the Bible uses illustrations and way to help us understand the kingdom, and one is a farmer and the other is a soldier. Uh, those, the the Bible's full of agriculture and military. It's, um, it's just in there all through it, and a lot of principles. And uh, I, I'm just grateful that the reason we worship freely in English today is because of our veterans. And uh, so this is Veterans Day. If you are a veteran of the services, would you please stand for us? We'd appreciate that. Would you stand up real quickly? Amen. 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 Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Um, I love it. Thank y'all very much. I love uh, listening to you, you guys' stories and, and, uh, and, and the tales you tell and the way you rib each other and carry on. And you're part of, a, of, a, of a, an elite group, a brotherhood, a fraternity that uh, not everybody and a, a What's the other word? Sorority as well. Uh, sometimes we have, we have women veterans, just I guess not in the service today. But, but uh, we are very, very grateful uh, for you putting it on the line for us. So thank you so much. And uh, I hope that you enjoy your weekend. Um, and, uh, and a day off tomorrow if, if uh, you work a job, let you off tomorrow. But uh, anyway, today we're back in the book of Acts. So if you'll turn there. Um, and, uh, and, and today we're going to see some spiritual warfare going on. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I, today I call this, I can see clearly now, and, and I hope if you're of a certain age, that triggered a song in your head. I know, I was singing it all week after I came up with that, um, uh, and we won't sing it for you guys. Uh, younger people, don't worry about it, it's just old people stuff. Yeah. I'm in stores now, and I hear the elevator music, and I go, I remember when that came out. <laughs> it didn't sound like that then, um, so I, I know I'm getting a little bit older, but uh, the reason I called it that is because the, one of the main characters in today's Scripture and the story we're going to see is a man named Simon, and Simon is a magician. He's a sorcerer, uh, a legit sorcerer, and and he he misses the gospel, even though it's clearly preached to him. And so, this is not Simon. This is uh, hopefully you that once you hear the gospel, you will see clearly what it takes. And let me explain where I'm going with that because really in the church there's. There's kind of two kinds of, not kinds of Christian, but Christians with two different experiences of how you came to the Lord. There's people who were just, didn't know anything about God, didn't give a flip about God, uh, you know, and that's the majority of the population of the world. They, they, they might know of a God or something about some kind of a God, but they don't know the God of the Bible. Uh, Four-fifths of this world or three-fifths of this world uh, don't even have the opportunity to hear about the God of the Bible. And... Uh, so you're just out there living life, and then one day, man, God did some things in your life, circumstantially or whatever, and suddenly you realize that there is a God who is real, and you opened your heart and your life, you, and allowed Him to come in and radically changed your life. 
And then the other group of people are like me. I was going to church nine months before I was born. Uh, my mom worked with the girls group in our church, which back then was called GAs, means girls auxiliary. When you see GAs written out, it looks like gas. It didn't mean the girls had gas. It, it was girls auxiliary, comma, plural, S. Um, but but uh, so I had to go to GAs because my mom was one of the directors of it and there was nowhere to send me at that time. And so, I mean, I did it all, you know, and I did choir. I've done uh, Sunday school. I've preached, of course. I've done bus ministry, done a bunch of different things in, in my life. And I just grew up going to church. And when that happens, like there's not a story in the Bible and I hate to even say that because you probably come up with one I never heard of before. But, but none of the major stories I haven't heard or know or could tell you and tell you even some more details about them. Because I've been listening to them since I was in the nursery. I've been listening to the stories of the Bible since I was a little, little kid. And when that happens, you become so familiar with it. I, I can remember certain times in my life over certain things like Christmas where do I really believe, and especially about the resurrection, do I really believe a man died and was put into a tomb and then came out, not a zombie, not some ghost, but a real, living, never-to-die-again person with a different kind of body that gives us hope that one day we'll have that resurrection. Do I really believe that, or is that a story? Is that a fairy tale, as some people would think or imagine? It's illustrated by uh, a little story I heard about this uh, ranch and and uh, the two horses are in the, the stable talking to each other. Go with me. Uh, it's not Mr. Ed. And uh, one horse says he was a Mustang. He was a wild Mustang out in the out on the plains. He goes, "Man, I remember the day the master came and got me. He came riding out there. He roped me. He he tackled me. Brought me down. Dragged me back here. Threw me in this pen. Man, he he kept working with me. He threw a saddle on me. Jumped on me." He broke me down until I became obedient to his will. And I can't, I remember such an exciting day when the master finally broke me for his service. The other horse was born on the ranch and grew up working there. And he went, I, I think I bucked once. Maybe one time he went to put a saddle on me and I shifted. I, I think I tried to kick him one time when he went around behind me. I, I'm just not sure. And he began to doubt whether he was a horse that belonged on the ranch or not. That happens to people that grew up in church. And when I was eight years old, and I'll try to shorten my testimony a little bit, but I grew up hearing these stories. I knew I needed to be saved. That's how the words we used back then, because you're lost, and when you're lost, somebody needs to come save you, right? So that's how, if you're not familiar with church language, that's what we mean by that. And so we believe that a person without Christ is lost. They're, they don't know the way to heaven, so they are lost, and they need someone to come rescue them and show them the way to get to safety, which is heaven. And so we taught that way. So I, I grew up, and then I remember as an eight-year-old boy saying that to my mom, and what she said back made me realize that I was lost, and I needed a Savior. And uh, I had a particular problem. I've told my testimony a little bit here before, so if I'm repeating to you, uh, sorry, you can check your email or something right now. But, um, but, but I came home and said something. And what my mom said made me realize that I needed to say it. But I had a particular problem. And that was I was uh, very afraid of water. And I knew, because I was, grew up in a Baptist church, that if you say you got saved, they're going to try to drown you in the, t- in the tub. And uh, I just violated one of my own principles. But Lord will forgive me. 
And, and I did not, I was scared of them sticking me under the water. I, I can do that now, uh, but I couldn't then. And, uh, and, and so we had this, evangelist had this revival, and I'm holding on to the pew. I don't want to let go because, you know, the only way you could get saved back in those days is come forward to church, right? You don't have to do that, by the way, in case that's what you think. But, uh, but man, I was holding on to that pew because I was under conviction that I needed to surrender my life to Christ. And I couldn't explain it like I'm explaining it now. I was eight years old. Give me a break. But I, I, could, I, I was holding on. But the evangelist, if you, rode, if you came to church every night, if you came like seven nights, you could get to ride on his airplane at the end of the week. And I was eight years old. I want to ride an airplane. But I also played baseball, and I didn't want to not play baseball. Well, back in the day, for those who are younger than me, we didn't do revival just at night. We did revival at night and in the morning. And we did Bible school for two weeks. And we did it every morning for two weeks. You think you have it rough doing five nights. They used doing two weeks. It's crazy. So I went to the evangelist. I said, I really want to ride in your airplane. If I come during one of the morning times, because it was in the summer, can I still be counted in that count for me to get a ride in an airplane? He said, sure. Well, my aunt lived next door to me. She took me to church that morning. And it was there that morning when we stood up, we singing the song at the end of the service, and I found myself coming down the aisle. Actually, we didn't have a middle aisle in our church, and I was five rows back, uh, right there about where my wife's sitting now, and suddenly I'm coming down to the front. And so the pastor said, why are you coming? I said, you know, I need Christ, and he knew me. I mean, he the only pastor I'd ever had. And so they I filled out a little card on me, and then he stood me in front of the church, said, this is Stuart, and he, he wants to have Christ in his life. And he looked at me and said, Stuart, do you believe that Jesus is God? That he is the Lord. I said, yes, I do. And he said, do you believe that he rose from the dead after dying for your sins? I said, yes, sir, I do. And that was it. That was the end of that. Now that's out of Romans 10, 9. 10, 13 says, and those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I got baptized. I coughed and sputtered coming up, but I got baptized. So when I was about 12 or 13, about four or five years later, we got a Texas evangelist for a pastor, and he came in, and he taught us about uh, leading people to Jesus. I, I, didn't, I, I kind of tried to be a witness for Christ, but I, I didn't understand how, and he showed us how and, and all that. And, and we learned about what is called, and I'm going to do air quotes, the sinner's prayer. Now, the sinner's prayer has a thousand varieties, but it's basically this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior I'm, I want you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. And, and it got to where in our head we thought, if you didn't say those exact words, you, couldn't be, you weren't saved. I, anybody have a similar experience? I mean, I began to doubt whether I was saved or not. Because I just stood in front of the church and just said, yeah, I believe Jesus is God, and I believe he was risen from the dead. And I, that messed me up for about five or six years. I was about 19 before I figured it out that I couldn't save myself anyway. That he had to save me. And as an eight-year-old boy, I'd showed faith in him the best I knew how. And I didn't say or do anything outside of the, the true gospel, which is if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I expressed that. And so I knew God had saved me, even though I was ignorant and understand it all at the time. You still with me? Well, here's the deal. We come to a guy today who says all the right things, but he's not saved. 
And what I've come to learn in the 51 years since then, uh, 51 and a half about now, that there are a lot of people in churches who have said the right things, maybe, but still don't have Jesus. And I want to give you today what I think is a sign or a symbol, or not a symbol, but, but, but what is necessary before you can be saved. I'm going to go ahead and give you the ending for now so you can be looking at it as we go through the text. And that's this. An awareness that you truly are a sinner and deserve nothing but hell. And you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus as your Savior. That word repent is the hinge in, that, in what I just said. The realization that I am totally lost without God. And I must repent of wanting my own way. And turn my life over to His way. And believe in Him to be my Savior. That's the hinge the, that salvation swings on. That I repent. Because after all, why do I need to have Jesus... If I don't have anything to be forgiven for. Or let me say that in proper English. For which to be forgiven. Just in case you're an English person. And if you're redneck like me. You understood it the first time. So. If, if, if I don't have anything I need to be forgiven for. Why would I come to Christ? I, my best friend was a salesman for his dad for a few years. And he let me try to sell some stuff. Because I needed money. And so I would try to help him sell. And what he told me was. The first thing you got to do is convince the customer. They need what you got. Until people think they need it. By the way, that's the point of all advertising. So don't be stupid. Think about what they're trying to sell you. And what they're, why they're saying it. Do you really need it? Probably not. And if you really talk yourself out of it, you'll be a happier person. But if you don't need someone to save you, why would you come to Christ? Especially since he makes certain demands on us. Like love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And be willing to leave your mother and father and brothers and sisters for the sake of the gospel. And to go through fire and water to fight. As these young ladies helped us to hear today. For the sake of the truth of the gospel and for people who need to know Christ. So we have a character in our story today. A guy named Simon. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. Belief's not enough. There are a lot of people who believe. The Bible says there's coming a day in judgment when they'll stand before him and say, but Lord, Lord, did we not? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. So it's not a matter of what I know up here. It's a matter of what I obey through this. That, that with my whole life, my whole desire, my whole will, my whole heart, that I've surrendered totally to Christ. And if I have not surrendered everything to Christ... Then I'm holding something back. And we'll see that in this character. Would you stand with me? It's kind of a long read, but I, I want us to read it. We'll begin in verse 8. Because, uh, I'm sorry. Yes. In, in, uh, in verse uh, 8. So there was much joy in that city. Why was there joy? We saw it last week because Philip was there preaching. And they were seeing these miracles and signs. And it made them all happy. And uh, they, they were believing in Christ, as we see. And beginning in verse 9 now. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great or somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. 
And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Now listen carefully. Verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Would you pray with me? Lord, in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, we don't want to be like Simon, and it is so subtle and so uh, easy to slip into what he did that uh, sometimes it seems like we are. So, Lord, I I just, I'm asking you to do something because I am totally helpless here right now. Lord, I can't know the difference between a wheat and a tear. I cannot know the difference in in, in somebody professes you and somebody actually knows you. But, Lord, you can. And so I'm praying for those that do know you. That today, we would not take that lightly, but we would, uh, we would strive to give all that we are and have into your hands to use at your will. Lord, I pray for those who know that they know that they don't know you. That, Lord, today your spirit would draw them to yourself, for only you can do that. We can't push them there. You have to draw them to yourself. So we're asking that you might use our words and the things we do to to help them to to understand and and you would draw them to yourself but lord for that person in the most dangerous spot they're religious they think they're okay they've done the right things but lord their heart is far from you i pray today that only that you would bring conviction and only you can do that lord again i i can't i I can't know them I, i all i can do is is tell them the truth of the word of god and lord only you can help them with that. So we pray that you do that. We, we ask this because, God, we are helpless without you. We are hopeless without you. But with you, Lord, uh, we have everything we need. And we are, we are uh, just made perfect in the image of Christ. And so I pray that, Lord, you continue that work in our hearts and lives. We bind our enemy in Jesus' name. And we ask for your freedom that you might work through and in us. In, in the name of Christ, we pray it. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. And, and uh, I spent a lot of time in that introduction, and so uh, I'm not going to have as much time in the text, and there is a lot of great, 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 great things in here. One thing I want you to look forward to is I'm going to help you to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, especially in the context of this passage. Uh, a lot of people get confused on that, and uh, there are a lot of different beliefs on that. It's really simple. It doesn't take long. But first of all, I want you to see, and kind of revolve this around this character of Simon, even though he's not really the main deal, even though he's kind of the subject of this. The main deal is always Jesus, right. The main deal of Scripture is always Jesus. Thank you. Y'all, y'all learning. When I pause, that means say amen quickly. Um, 
The main deal that Jesus said, search the scriptures for them, you find eternal life, and these are they that testify of me. So everywhere you read in the Bible, be looking for Jesus. You'll find him there. But Simon, I want you to understand, first of all, was self-important. He thought he was a big shot. He was a big deal. He's puffed up in his own mind. That's just, in verses 8 through 11, he's just kind of describing the situation. Remember, they're in Samaria. If you don't know anything about Samaria, Samaria was the capital of the northern tribes of Israel. What are the northern tribes of Israel? Israel was 12 tribes. David was the greatest king. Solomon was the richest king, wisest man, all that. That that was the golden era of Israel's uh, domain as a kingdom. And then Solomon's son, for lack of a better word, he was an idiot. And, uh, and, and so he was going to be even tougher on the people than Solomon was. And the, and the ten tribes that were north of the bottom two, which was Benjamin and Judah, and everybody else was up north, rebelled against that king being their king. And they were going to go to war with him. Judah said, okay, we'll keep you. Come on with us. So they got their own king. And they just they never had a good king after that because they rebelled against the will of God even though the guy was not bright. Um, remember that when God puts somebody in authority, no matter what you think of them, they are God's person in authority. Don't forget that about our last president. Don't forget that about our current president. Don't forget that about our next president. It's the job of the Christian to pray for them. Okay. I got some strong beliefs that doesn't enter into this Christian thing right here. Okay. That's our job as Christians. So anyway, so the tribes split, and so there's these northern... And so Jerusalem's in the southern kingdom, and that was their capital. So they made Samaria their capital. Well, because they messed up so much, God sent invaders and destroyed them about 600 years before Christ. 582 B.C., in case you want the exact date. Um, and they came in, destroyed Israel, and they carried people away captive. That's where we get books like Daniel, Jeremiah was part of that, all that. And, and that capital of Samaria is decimated and the people are pulled out and the kings that conquered put their people on in the land well now you're there and you're Jewish and it's a real big deal to marry within your faith but there ain't a lot of choices plus you got some other people and they didn't do marriage like we do it today so they began to intermingle and out of that intermingling of Jews and Gentiles came the Samaritans they are hated by the Jews because they are half Gentile. They're hated by Gentiles because they're half Jewish. But they maintained a belief in Yahweh. They had their own set of scriptures. They had their own temple. The most famous Samaritan, two famous Samaritans in, in Jesus' uh, telling of stories. Um, one was an actual event. The other was a parable. Remember the good? Yeah, think of the race or group of people you hate the most. And it'd be like you were in trouble and they helped you. And that's what Jesus was saying. And by the way, if you hate, and, and if you could think of somebody that you really hate, you need to get saved, by the way. The Bible says if you have the Son but you hate people, you are still in darkness even to this time. That's in First John. You can read it for yourself. I didn't make that up. So the Good Samaritan, but the other is an actual person. The Bible said Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. He didn't have to. They always didn't go through Samaria, but he did. And he met their woman at the well. Yeah, see, y'all are good. Y'all are smarter than me. So the woman at the well, she's a Samaritan woman. And he leads her to a belief about himself. So when Philip goes up there, they've already heard about Jesus. And now Philip's preaching, and they start believing. And, and, but Simon is up there. He's been doing magic. 
Now, I know when I say the word magic, you think, yeah, yeah, like an illusionist. No, not like an illusionist. He did magic. There's a difference between illusion and magic. Magic's a real thing. Remember when I was talking about growing up in church and you kind of think things are just kind of a story instead of a reality? There's a real devil. And he's always trying to copy what God does. And there are real followers of Satan who do magic. They're called, they're called witches, but a witch won't say she's a worshiper of Satan, but some are, um, but some aren't. Most, most of we call them Wiccans, and you can be a man and be a witch. You can call her a warlock if you want. But, there's, but they believe in the reality of that because there is a reality to that. Because the devil will want you to think that you have some kind of power in this world so that you will go to sleep about your true condition and destroy you in the end. And Simon was one of those people, and he could actually do signs and wonders and miracles, and he did them. Remember, a miracle is not necessarily a sign that God did something. It's a sign a supernatural being did something, right? And there's only two that control the powers of the spiritual world, and they're God and Satan. And when I say God, I mean the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Satan, I mean, you live in a place that had a mystical, or what was it, mischief and magic or mystic weekend. Now, I know a lot of people, they just went down there to have fun. But what I want you to understand is there were real witches there. There are people really dabble in the dark arts there. This is a real thing. And Simon liked that everybody thought he was the big shot. I, I did... There's a heresy that is formed very quickly in the New Testament. And Paul writes some of his epistles to fight against that. It's called Gnosticism. And Simon is the believed to be the beginner of that. And it says there in verse 10 that the people said this man is the power of God that is called great. He could do tricks. They thought he, was, he had the power of God, but he, but he didn't. And he used the magic, the magic to amaze people. It says they were amazed. That means just fooled. It does have that sleight of hand idea. It's like he'd do something, but it wasn't that he wasn't actually doing it. It's that what he did led them to a false belief about who he was. Sleight of hand or, or um, illusion is when I make you look at something when what I'm really doing is somewhere else. And then when it pops up, it surprises you. That's just sleight of hand. You can use that in a lot of ways, and it's not evil. But what is evil is actual magic. This guy's doing actual magic. And, he, and he's feeding on the, on the attention of people uh, and, and as if he has the power of God. And so beginning in verse 12, now we see that he is self-important. We see that he's salvation deficient. He does not have salvation. Look at verse 12, and in fact, it becomes very clear later. Uh, I, I, this, this isn't as clear in these verses. I'm calling it that just to put your mind there. But in verse 12, but when they, but when they the people of the, of the place, believe Philip as he's preaching. Now, he's in competition with Simon now. Because now Philip's given them the gospel and they're leaving Simon and coming to Philip. That happens a lot in the New Testament. And usually the people uh, that are getting left get angry. And Simon doesn't seem to get angry because he, he doesn't care as much about that as he does about having the power himself. 
as you'll see later. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women. And look at verse 13. Come on, Stuart, what's wrong with you? It says right there, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Didn't I just tell you that word amazed means to be led to the wrong belief? See, he just thought Simon was a better magician than him. But it isn't even over for Simon yet. He's going to see something a little bit later blows his mind. You say, well, I think you're reading too much into it. See, Simon made a show and he thought everybody... I'm going to teach you a little principle here. He thought everybody that could do a great work was making a show. But before I get there, John 2 says this in beginning of verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So Jesus did signs and they believed in him. But Jesus, on his part, did not trust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about men. For he himself knew what was in man. What he knows is that they were amazed because he could do signs. They did not believe in who he was. They were just amazed at what he did. Are you following what I'm saying? You got to hang with me. I, I'm using a lot of words. So maybe I'm using too many of them to say this. I hope not. It's the fruit that they're looking at. And then Simon is curious about this power he sees in Philip. Because notice what it says. He was amazed. Look at the beginning of verse 13 again. Even Simon believed and all of that. And seeing signs and miracles performed. That's what he's looking at. He's looking at the magic. In Matthew, Jesus said this. That there was a people said, show us a sign and a wonder and we'll believe. He said, I, only an adulterous and blasphemous generation looked for a sign. It's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a person who is God in the flesh. He dwelt among us. And the great sign that he did was rise from the dead after being dead three days. And didn't fall back down. He never died again. He's still alive, by the way. That's greater than any little magic trick you can do here on earth. Well... Just to go on to get to the meat of this. Simon is Holy Spirit ignorant. So was everybody else. But I've already read it. But in verse 14, when they had received the word of God, they sent for Peter and John. Okay, now let me explain this to you real quickly. Because I've already read it. You know what happens? Peter and John come. They go, whoa, these people believe in Jesus. Peter lays hands on them. The Holy Spirit falls and they all receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they're, they're, and you may be from this kind of tradition. I'm not... I'm not mad at you, and I'm not criticizing you. I, I just want to explain the way we understand this in the Bible. And that is this. See, those people believed, and then they had a second event where the Holy Spirit baptized them. And we say, you're baptizing the Holy Spirit at salvation, according to Romans 8. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're none of His. So you can't get saved and be His, and then later get the sign of being His. You get it when you get in. Right? You say, well, then I don't understand what this means. It's really simple, but you got to go back to Matthew. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is hanging around with the disciples, and he says, so, what's the, what's the scuttlebutt on the street? Who are people, what are people saying about me? Oh, man, they say you're Elijah, or 
One of the prophets come back from the dead. Some of them are saying you, you might even be John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. And Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter spurts out, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood didn't tell you that. God told you that. And you are the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And I will get and we, we stop there. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. What kingdom? The kingdom of God. He gave them to Peter. He gave them to a man. Now that blows my mind. Especially Peter. Because after this, he really messes up. Just shows that when God is complimentary and gives you gifts, that means you're not going to make a mistake. Right? I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and what you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven, and what you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Now, Peter does figuratively represent the church now. And so as the body of Christ, God gives us a certain authority in this world. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. There is someone in the world. Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual power. Wickedness in high places and goes through a whole litany of this spiritual darkness. But he says to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys and you're going to unlock the door. So now we fast forward to Acts 2, which we've already preached on, so you should remember this. Who got up on the day of Pentecost and preached? Why is Matthias the disciple? I'm not so sure that's what God wanted, but Peter made him a disciple, so an apostle, so he is one. Because he had the keys to the kingdom. And Peter preaches, and what happens? 3,000 people get saved and receive the Holy Spirit. And between Acts 2 and Acts 8, how many, out of everybody got saved, how many of them were Jewish? 100%. Nobody not Jewish has gotten saved yet. But in Acts 8, we've got people that are sort of Jewish. They're part Jewish. And now they have received the message of Christ. So they send for Peter. Because he's got the key. Peter, come check it out. Are we supposed to open this door? Because these people are believing. Peter comes down there and goes, yeah, they believe. Let's pray for them. And Holy Spirit fills them. Now I'll go ahead and pre-warn you. Two chapters from now, Acts 10, there's this Italian guy named Cornelius. And he is devout and he prays and he gives alms. And one day God comes and visits him and says, send for Peter. And Peter, in the meantime, is back on this housetop taking a nap. And he's having this daydream, night dream vision of this sheet coming down. It's got crabs and shrimp and catfish and squirrels and rabbit. And yeah, whatever other nastiness you like. And he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. That's the hunter's verse. And Peter said, not me, Lord, I'm clean, I don't touch unclean things. And he said, what I call clean, don't you dare call unclean. That happened three times. And the third time, as the vision, the sheet went back into heaven, Peter heard this. Anybody named Peter here? We were sent by an angel to come find you. Our master is Cornelius, he's the captain of the Italian band, and he wants to talk to you. Will you come talk to him? Peter goes, yeah, I think I will. And he shows up, and he's... Cornelius said, I don't get it. God told me to 
send for you? And Peter said, yeah, if you'd have sent for me yesterday, we wouldn't have had this straight. But I got it straight now. And he prayed for him. And boom, the Holy Spirit came on a Gentile. And here we sit. And the gospel is now spread to all peoples of the world. And so anyone who accepts Christ receives the Holy Spirit. Now that's parenthetical to my point today. But I want you to understand that because that's a great spot in scripture to explain that to you. So Peter and John come to validate these people's conversions. That's in verses 14 through 17. We've read it. I just explained it. But notice verse 18. Simon tries to buy the power. In verse 18, when Simon saw the Spirit was given, and you, you can believe this, how amazing it is. Every time for the first time the Holy Spirit came to a group of people, what happened? They broke out in speaking in tongues. They broke out in miracles happening. Wild stuff's happening just among regular folks. It's not like they're some high missionary pastor, pope-like person. Everybody does it because the gifts are for all believers. That's right. I'm not special. God just called me to a special task. Understand that? I hope you do. And so when he saw it, (laughs) this just cracks me up. My page turned. I can't find it because I'm on the wrong page. Um, in, in verse 18, and when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, before you get too critical of him, notice what he says. It says, He offered them money. Many of you bargain with God. God, if you'll save me, I will do this. You're trying to barter with God, you're trying to exchange goods you have for goods he's got. He don't like any of your goods. All your righteousness is filthy rags in his sight. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. You don't even understand yourself. Why would he want that? You got nothing to offer him. So we try to buy salvation. Well, I'll be a good boy. I'll, I'll go to church and I'll pray and I'll give money and I'll be good and then I get to Listen, you can't earn heaven. The only thing you've ever earned is hell. Heaven's a gift. It's given to us. We don't earn it. Peter, Simon here, is the same as you and I. He's trying to buy God for himself. Now, what I love is Peter's response. Just because, just (laughs) because. In verse uh, 21, Peter does not bite his tongue, but looks at him. My page turned again. But looks at him and says this. May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now, I read a, I knew this uh, sometime back. I, I caught on to what's actually being said here. And I even read a commentary this week where the guy said, every modern version of the Bible softens that down for us. Because what was Peter's occupation before Jesus called him? Yeah, they're, they're not gentle guys, Okay. If you don't believe me, go work on a trawler for a week. You won't have any skin left on your hands. These are tough dudes. I mean, you've watched TV shows like Deadliest Catch on. You get it. It's not an easy task. So they're rugged. They're tough. He's calloused. And he was, as it said earlier in Acts, ignorant and unlearned. <laughs> but he'd been with Jesus. So he looks at this dude and says, you're going to hell and you, I'm going to tell you, why don't you take your money with you? It's what he said. Now, he didn't say it as a cursing. He's not cursing the guy. He's giving him a fact. Dude, you're going to hell. You just, by your own mouth, 
You just said you don't get it. And may your money go with you because I don't want your stinking money. Look at what he says. Verse 21, he says that. Verse 22, he says, you've neither part nor lot in this matter. Very Jewish expression. It was in the Old Testament. They have no part or lot with the kingdom of Israel. No part or lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Oh, there's that word I was telling you to be looking for. Verse 23, 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. He doesn't give me much hope. I don't know if God's going to forgive you for that, man, but you, you pray and see what he says. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. What he's saying is you've been trapped by your sin. You've been trapped by that witchcraft, that magic you were doing. You're holding on to that. You want to be important. And now you want to buy the power of God to make you more important? How many religious people do the same thing? They want to exhibit the power of God so they can be wealthy and important. Wave their coats over groups of people and watch them fall down. Anybody talks about themselves, their ministry, more than about Jesus, you ought not listen to them. When they built the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, Dr. Graham was already older and sick, and they took him to see it, wheeled him through it, came out and said, what do you think? He says, too much about Billy Graham in there. Peter just told him he's, he's headed to destruction. And he better get his heart right. I, I have a, 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 a firm belief. It's exhibited in verses 23 to 24. He tells him to repent. Verse 23, I see you're in the gall of bitterness. In verse 24, Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Wait a minute. Why are you, why are you asking Peter to pray for you? Why don't you pray for yourself? Why don't you repent? Peter can't repent for you. I'd be like, I was a kid and I was stealing cookies out of the cookie jar when I wasn't supposed to. And I was never supposed to. And my sister came to me and said, uh, Mom knows you've been stealing cookies and she is coming to get you. Would you go tell her I'm sorry? <laughs> I can tell you what the answer would have been, no. <laughs> I needed to go and repent of my sin, right? All of a sudden, Peter says, dude, you're headed for hell. Ask God not to send me there. You need to talk to him. I was just talking to you. What do you mean me? I've already settled this with him. Trust me, you don't want to go where I've already been. You need to go there. You need to take that journey. I have a firm belief that when the child of God is faced with his sin, he will repent. And to me, this is evidence that Simon's not saved. Because he doesn't repent. He asked Peter to pray for him. He's sorry he got caught. He's not sorry for what he did. He's sorry he's going to face consequences. He does not want to abandon himself in, in holy subjection to, to God. He doesn't want to humble himself and say, Lord, all that I am and all that I have and all I'll ever be is yours. I totally surrender everything to you. I surrender my magic. I surrender my reputation. I surrender all to you. Because he wanted to be important. Because he didn't understand salvation or the Holy Spirit. And he wanted to hold on to his sin. That's what Peter told him. He said, you are caught in the gall of bitterness. You're clutched by your iniquity. And you can't let go. And you better let go.
Here's what some practical things maybe you could do this week. First of all, evaluate how many times you make yourself the center of the universe. I put some verses up there. You might want to write those references down. Look out in Romans 12, 3. It says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. Let me read it to you. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with the sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, know your place. Today they say, stay in your lane. This is what God gave me to do, and that's what I got to do. I can't be a great Billy Graham. I cannot be a different kind of path. I'm, I'm who God made me to be, and I got to... I can't sin, but I got to, I've got to let God use me what he created me to be and do. And stay in that lane, not be jealous of other people, not desire your gift. I need to just exercise the gift God gave me. That's what Romans 12, 3 is saying. So how many times do you sit around wasting time wishing you were somebody else could do? Do it yourself. Do, ask God to help you to be what God created you to be. Then secondly, don't treat God as if he's subject to us. And Numbers 23, 19 says, is God a man that he should... It goes on, it's, 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 the verse that makes it sobers my mind, it just says, we, we tend to think of God as if he has the same kind of thinking process we do, and he doesn't. And when we go to pray, we, we pray selfish prayers. We, we think God's got to do stuff for us, and we treat him like a, bum gall, a gumball machine. We put a quarter in the slot, turn the handle of prayer, and get a gumball out. Prayer is not about getting things from God. It's about getting to know God. And putting yourself and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm not telling you anything. You tell me. And whatever you say is what I'm going to do. And then thirdly, is your life marked with repentance or excuses? The ones we already read, Acts 2.38. At the day of Pentecost, they cry out, Peter, what do we do? And he said, repent. And be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. First word, repent. The first invitation ever given by anybody other than Jesus. And they say, we want it, what do we do? First word out of his mouth is repent. 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 One of the members of our church used to be a member of another church. And taught Sunday school there. And he said he was teaching Sunday school. And they were talking about praying and, uh, you know, forgiveness of sin and, and uh, dealing with sin in our life, all that, you know, how do you, how do you handle sin? Because we still see sin in our life. And, and uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8 talks about that. But it was a, one of the pastor's wives sitting there, and she says, sometimes I go two or three weeks without sinning. If I'd have been sitting there, I'd have said, you saying that just made me sin. The Bible says in 1 John, the first chapter, if we say we've never sinned, we say we do not sin, we say we have no sin. We make God a liar, we make ourselves a liar, and we fool ourselves. And until you can say, and this is the stumbling block of Christianity, you have to say, I can't do it. I can't save myself, I can't serve God, I can't do anything without Him. Every other religion teaches if you work hard enough, you do the right things, you say the right prayer, you get to know God. Christianity says it's a gift. And asking him for it is a sign that he's already pulling you to himself. 
this guy is not going there. 